be seated in the presence of the Lord tonight. Back in the 80s on the Today Show, y'all remember that? Probably still on, but you know. I think it was Jane Polly back then. Does that sound right? Had David Wilkerson on one morning. They were talking about addiction. And they were having a discussion on a panel that morning. And the rate then was the rate now, although addiction problem is much, much worse today than it even was then. But then the stats were the same. A 12-step program or whatever, 80% relapse within a year. Well, Teen Challenge at the time, ran by David Wilkerson, of course, that was, he founded that ministry. The statistics were just the opposite, that 80% left free. Still true. And that day on live broadcast on the Today Show, they turned to David Wilkerson and said, what makes your program different than this program? He said, well, you just said it. I don't run a program. I point people to the only one who can. I point people to Jesus Christ, and as quick as he got Jesus Christ out of his mouth, they cut to commercial. They were having no part of it. <laughs> but Jesus is still the answer. He's still the answer. He's still the answer. And he's the only answer. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord, and I'm glad that Jeff and Misty Robertson came to South Texas. I am. They've been already a huge asset to Mag Church, probably even more than you've had the time to realize at this point, but it's not more than I've had time to realize. <laughs> and let me tell you something. I, I won't take any of his time to tell you how he got here, but it wasn't we advertised that he sent a resume. That's not how it happened. And it wasn't that he sent a resume and we bit. That's not how it happened. There was God-ordained moments that brought them to South Texas. Let me tell you that Jeff and Misty Robertson are in South Texas because they were ordained of God to be here right now. And he's part of what God is doing here. One thing we began to talk about at a staff meeting a few weeks ago and, and ongoing was that we're bringing, we've got preachers here, and preachers need to preach. So that's what you'll see a lot from now on. You'll see preachers, 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 preachers that are going to preach. You'll still see me, mostly, but you're going to see preachers that are here to preach. Do you know what? There's a few reasons for that, Mag Church. Go ahead and don't check out on me now. We haven't even started. But for one thing, you need more voices than mine. You do. There's another thing that preachers are, are born in the fire. That's where they come from. And they, and, and, they, and they get good at what they do when they preach. And Mag, how many, how many has heard me say, raise up ministers and ministries? Anybody ever heard me pray that? Raise up ministers and ministries. Mag Church is going to raise up ministers and ministries. So to, but there's one thing I, I started to put on the, I'm going to put it on this, on this podium, but I didn't put it here tonight because I, I thought it might scare Jeff to death <laughs> without warning. I was going to have it put on here, 
have some fire in your belly and have something to say. I think anybody that steps behind the pulpit ought to have some fire in their belly and they ought to have something to say. I'm tired of preachers that almost say something. Me and Matt are both sick of them. <laughs> preachers are called to speak on behalf of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It ought to be like fire shut up in our bones. And every time you step behind this sacred desk, you ought to have something to say. Say it, no pressure. Now come, <laughs> now come, Pastor Jeff Robertson, and deliver what the Lord has laid on your heart. Make him welcome Amen. tonight. Psalm 121 says, I, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Let me just tell you about who this Jesus that we talked about is. He is the Word. He's the light of the world. He is the Lamb that take away, Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. He's the Rose of Sharon. He is the Lily of the Valley. He is the bright and morning star. He is my deliverer. He is Emmanuel. He is the Son of God. He is the righteous judge. He is the author of my salvation. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the creator of all. He is the good shepherd. He is the cornerstone that the builders rejected that has become the chief cornerstone. He is the sacrifice. He is divine. He is the high priest. He is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. He is alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, which is to come, the almighty. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is Jesus. Glory to God. That puts you on shouting ground tonight. Well, pastor preached this morning on the church at Philadelphia and to not, not knowing where I was going with it. Tonight, I'm going to preach on the church at Ephesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 2. If you don't know where it's at, it's, at the, it's go to the maps and back up one book. Revelation chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. amen. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write. These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. 
I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. That's a pretty good compliment. Nevertheless, there's always a conjunction somewhere. I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Let's pray. Righteous God, I pray that you would come into this place tonight, Lord, and you would anoint my lips, anoint the hearers, Lord. Be with us throughout the night. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some may think that the revelation was, was given by John. That's not the case. He just, he just held the pen. The revelation was, was given by Jesus. The revelation from Jesus was showing the things that must come to pass. Whoever reads the book and adheres to all the admonitions of this book are promised to be blessed. There's a letter written to each of the seven churches from Jesus. Jesus is the speaker. He is identified as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. John is just the one that's delivering the message. He's the evangelist. Jesus gave him the message. Now he's delivering it. The preacher is to seek the face of God until God gives him the message. He is then to deliver the message from the Lord. Sometimes it's a hard message that is preached. Sometimes it requires deep plowing. Sometimes it requires plowing stumps that won't move. Sometimes it requires lighting fires under mules that have balked. Sometimes it requires shearing the sheep. Sometimes the shepherd has to break the leg of a sheep so it won't wander off again. Sometimes that message will make you flat out mad. This is where the people want to shoot the messenger, or in our case, the preacher. And really, it's just conviction that makes you mad at what the preacher says. Don't get me wrong, the gospel can be mean preached. The gospel can be hateful preached. Really, that's just not the way. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a 
perfect man unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. It's all designed to grow us. If the gospel is presented and articulated in a firm and loving way, and it still makes you mad, then the message is probably stirring up something inside your life that needs to be addressed. So before you get mad at the messenger or the preacher, ask the Holy Spirit to shine the light of heaven on your soul and to reveal anything that is not like Jesus. Now Jesus addresses different problems within the seven churches. And the the one that I'm addressing happens to be the first one. It's the church at Ephesus. There was a particular problem that Jesus wanted to address. It's not to say that it wasn't happening in other churches. It was just more here than others. Each of the churches had their own problems that needed addressing. Sometimes it's proper for the preacher to call out the names of other preachers who preach false doctrine. Very unpopular, but necessary. Even as Jesus addressed these churches, Jesus knows intimately the works of the churches. He knows how loyal they are to him despite outward appearances. The lives of the congregation are measured against the standard of Jesus' life. There is some truth to the what would Jesus do wristbands that you used to see worn a lot. Jesus spoke with love. When the law was correct in stoning the woman caught in adultery, Jesus turned it right back on them fellers, stooped down and wrote on the ground. Some Bible scholars thought that he was probably revealing their sins. He who was without the first, he who was without sin, let him cast the first stone. Started dropping their stones one by one until there was none. He asked her a question. He knew the answer, though. But he still asked her a question. Where are thine accusers? She said, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn thee. But he said, go and sin no more. He knew her sins. He knew their sins. But he showed compassion. He showed grace. He showed mercy. Remember this, not only did Jesus show love, I read where he flipped some tables. My wife has a shirt. And it says, this close to flipping tables like Jesus. (laughs) And she wouldn't do that. Maybe. I'm not advocating that you go around doing that. 
But you might have to. Just saying. We're to show love and compassion like Jesus. That's how we're measured against Jesus' life. There's an enemy of the church. The enemy of the church is Satan. He's always trying to undermine the church's commitment to Jesus. He's always trying to stir the pot. Always using other people in the church as tools to work his problems. He's crafty. He can pull a response out of you that is not Christ-like. He can make you all but forget the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness or gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Don't allow yourself to be used as a tool of the devil. Back to the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is spoken as the de facto capital of the province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, The Roman governor even lived there. It was at the intersection of three main highways through the country. It was at the crossroads of civilization from the north, east, and the south. It was the trade center of the area. It was the vanity fair of the ancient world. It was the worship center for the Greek fertility goddess Artemis. Thousands of priests and priestesses were involved in her service, which was dedicated to cult prostitution. Artemis' temple also served as a great bank for kings and merchants. It was also an asylum for fleeing criminals. How how that temple contributed to the moral decay of, of the population cannot be addressed. One of its citizens named Heraclius, known as the weeping philosopher, said the inhabitants of the city were only fit to be drowned because of the terrible uncleanness of the city. Kind of sounds like modern cities of today. It's eerily parallel. Picture it. It's a large city with more influence than than the capital city. The governor resided there. There's a World Trade Center there as well. It's very cosmopolitan, very posh. Has its own red light district. And to top it off, it's a sanctuary city. Sounds like today, don't it? And in the midst of this, all of this filth, there was a thriving church. It was a Holy Ghost-filled church. The church of Ephesus seemingly did everything right. Jesus knew their works. He saw their labor. He saw their patience. He saw how they could bear, how they could not bear them which were evil. And he saw that they questioned the people who said they were apostles and were not and found them as liars. Jesus knows our works. 
He knows exactly what is right and what is wrong. The church cannot escape Jesus' scrutiny. Acts 1.24 says, The Lord knows the hearts of all. The fact that Jesus stated, I know thy works, says to us that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin in the house of God. Jesus will be the judge. John 5.22 says, For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son. He's a merciful judge. He knows what is in the heart of man. He was in all points tempted as we are. He knows. He is our merciful, faithful high priest. He knows the good works. He approves more than he condemns in this passage. The doctrinal soundness of the, of the Ephesian believers is strong by exposing the lies of the false prophets. Only truth can expose error. Truth of knowledge is lacking in the church today. The church has been exposed to every wind of doctrine. This is one of the reasons why the church is in the condition and the shape that it is in. There is little knowledge of truth. There's little love for true doctrine. There's little instruction in the word. We can see it in the email that Pastor presented earlier. However, the church of Ephesus was different. There was knowledge of truth. They had studied the scriptures. They knew the principles of true doctrine. They were able to discern between true and false doctrine. They were faithful in discipline. They had patience. They're sure there were problems that arose as with every church. And there were difficulties like every church, but they fainted not. They were diligent in their efforts. They didn't quit when the going got tough. They were abounding in the work of the Lord. They kept the gospel that was given unto them. They didn't take it easy in the kingdom of God. They labored and toiled for Christ's name's sake. They were in harmony with the calling. They proclaimed the word of God. They preached the gospel. They had to take up their cross and suffer with Christ. They were a reproach to the world, but remained faithful to God. They had, they had the strength to endure suffering and the tribulation for the name of Jesus. Mankind would have a hard time passing judgment on this church because it was almost perfect. Its doctrine is cor correct. Working diligently for the Lord. Their bus program brought in kids every time the church was open. Their WMs were making quilts and fixing meals for the cold and the hungry. The men's ministries were building churches on faraway continents. Their rangers and girls ministries program were teaching, training, equipping boys and girls of how the Bible tells them they should act and to, and to grow up to be proper men and women in society. Their youth program was rooting young people in the gospel. They even had a Christian school that was educating kids and teens academically while giving them a biblical approach to education. You name it, they did it. 
and they did it right. They were a book of Acts church. But yet there was something wrong. Verse 4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Jesus was telling them that something was wrong despite their zeal. The one who knew their works had something against them. You can't never pull one over on God. The fact that they left their first love had catapulted them into a negative connotation with the Lord. The phrase, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you, referred to the fact that Jesus knew the hearts of the people. So just to be clear, he knows our hearts. He knows our intentions. He sees our works. He sees what we do behind the scenes. He knows where our first love is currently at. Or you can try to convince him differently. But he still knows the truth. And he will call you out on it somehow, some way. The problem was because they had left their first love. And this really was a willful act on on their part. And it was serious. In fact... If the church did not repent, it would lead to their demise. The Lord is telling the church of Ephesus that if they would not repent of their sins, he would remove their candlestick. He would remove the church out of its circle of fellowship with him. He would no longer commune with them. He would no longer authorize them. He would no longer use them for his glory. It would be no more than a social club lacking his power and presence in their midst. You might as well write Ichabod across the front door. This was eating at the roots of the church, which would cause her to die if it was not addressed. The church was dying and they could not recognize that that they were dying. Some would say that zeal, excitement for him, desire to learn more, would define first love. These are all good things. But sadly, this is not first love. Jesus gives us a hint in verse 5 by saying, and do the first works. First love points to the faith we had in Jesus when we were first saved. First love points to what he did on the cross. And the cross was still fresh on their minds. His death made it possible for us to be redeemed. First love makes you sing, I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him, I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child and forever I am. 
I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. I know that I shall see his, in, in his beauty, the king in whose law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. Redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. His child and forever I am. There is a love that fills our hearts when we realize what he did for us. Leaving that first love, which speaks of leaving the cross and placing your faith in something else, exposes you to legalistic law, which is made up by other men, other church denominations, or laws made up out of one's own mind. Jesus told us how to maintain our first love. Luke 19, 23 through 24, And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. Follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall, will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Many believe that denying self speaks of foregoing any comfort or pleasure, making it hard as possible for, one, for oneself. That's further, that's further from the truth. He's referring to the fact that we must not try to live our life by our own strength. When we forsake our first love, we break our communion with him. We lose our fellowship with him. Sin will separate you from God. Maintaining your first love is denying self. You must deny self. We must depend entirely on Christ. We depend on Christ through the cross. Every single thing we receive comes through the cross. The lyrics of this song say it well. What are you doing for the king? Have you really given everything for the one who gave his all for you? Don't be satisfied just to know that the Lord has saved your soul. Have you forgotten what you need to do? I know sometimes the road is long. And I know sometimes you feel like you can't go on. But you can make it. You just take up your cross. And follow Jesus. Take up your cross every day. Don't be ashamed to say that you know him. Count the costs. Take up your cross and follow him. We are to take up our cross daily. We are to renew our faith daily. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 1 through 2 about renewing our minds. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewings of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Maintaining our first love requires us to take up our cross. 
We must keep our faith anchored in Christ and what he did for us on the cross. There is no other way. Anything else, and we've separated Christ from the cross. Paul knew the importance of keeping Christ with the cross. He told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 17-18, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which is saved, it is the power of God. Paul knew what it took to keep his first love. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2, Paul said, And I, brethren, when I come to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He knew the importance. He knew the importance of maintaining his first love. It was a 180-degree change for him on the road to Damascus. It had a lasting effect on his life. We must all have a Paul on the Damascus road to experience with Christ. It's that kind of experience that makes you want to keep your first love. The story of one man keeping his first love happened about 150 years ago. during the great revival in Wales. As a result of this, many missionaries came to the Northeast, came to Northeast India to spread the gospel. The region known as Assam was comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. Into these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist Mission, spreading the love of spreading, spreading the message of love, peace, and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcome. However, one missionary succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and two children. This man's faith proved contagious, and many vill- villagers began to accept Christianity. The angry village chief got word of it and he summoned all of his all, all of the villagers. He then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or face ex- execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the men instantly composed a song and became famous down to the ears. He sang, I have decided. To follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered the archers to shoot down his two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith? 
You've lost both of your children. You will lose your wife too. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed, arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the last time, I will give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man, the man sang the final memorable lines. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. He too was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. He wondered why should this man, his wife, and two children die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago. There must be a remarkable power behind the family's faith. And I too want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. This man who was led, by, led to Jesus by a Baptist missionary had his first love front and center in his life. Jesus was the most important person to him. Laying down your life for the cause of Christ exudes first love. His first love did not flinch in the face of death, but counted all things lost for Christ's sake. He could echo the words of Paul in Paul's second letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is now at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not only to me, but unto all of them also that, that love his appearing. His faith was made sight because he kept his first love. Would you stand, please? Brandon. Verse 5 of our text tell us, tells us what we are to do. What to do to restore our first love. Remember, therefore, from where you are fallen and repent and do the first works. 
Jesus told us what to do. He said to repent. Would you you bow your heads? No looking around, please. I'm not going to call you to come down just yet. We're going to come pray in a few moments. I'm going to ask you to make a confession right where you are at. It's a confession of faith. It's going to require you to be honest with yourself and with God. It's it's going to require you to come clean. The purpose of my message tonight was to get you to take a look at yourself and think about it. Who here would be bold enough to raise your hand and say, I've been relaxed with my first love with Jesus? Let me see your hand. I'll be bold enough to say that there's been times where I've been relaxed with my first love. Maybe you're too ashamed to raise your hand. But you still know deep down that you need to make a change. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, my desire is to return to my first love. I want to rekindle the passion that I had when I first encountered you. I ask that you will restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit within me. I confess and repent of my spiritual complacency, of the distractions, that have caused my heart to grow cold. I pray for a personal spiritual revival, a renewal of my passion and love for you. Reignite the flame of my first love for you, Lord, and help me to keep it burning bright in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you're committed. You've committed to the cause. And it's time to pray.